Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, we'll read verses 1 through 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Before we read God's Word, let's pray and ask for His help. Our Father, thankful once again for Your Word. Your Word and by Your Spirit, which keeps us from great error and heresies. Our Father, this evening as we consider the many heresies regarding Christ Your Son and and a couple other heresies uh, generally, Uh, Father, we ask that You would grant us knowledge and understanding and wisdom and a greater love and appreciation and wonder to stand in awe of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and who He is. Father, make us and keep us from error and false thinking and teaching. And even now, Father, I pray that You would humble me, Your servant, that You would keep me from heresy and false teaching, uh, knowing that to ministers You hold uh, to a double account. And so, Father, show mercy and grant us Your grace this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. These are God's words. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation, and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon His kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Those are God's words. Now we have been uh, looking at the person of Jesus Christ and His birth, and more specifically, why He who is eternally generated or eternally begotten of the Father and not made, why He took on human flesh. And broadly speaking, Christ took on human flesh to save His people, the elect, His elect, from their sins. And we know that the Lord has eternally and will eternally love all those whom He calls and justifies all the elect. In other words, those whom He has foreknown from before the creation, from all time, before all time, He has loved. And that is His foreknowledge. And for those those only, God sent forth His Son manifested in the flesh to save His people from their sins, to redeem His people. So as we learned last Lord's Day, both in His estate of humiliation and exaltation, He executed and still uh, executes the offices of a priest, prophet and a priest and a king. And that we would be delivered and saved even unto glorification. Christ took on human flesh. He was born for greater and eternal reasons 
than just becoming a baby. To have communion with all those who believe on Him forever. And this evening we're going to look at uh, common heresies about Christ. And But we won't just, since we don't cover heresies very often, we're going to co- cover a couple other heresies uh, on this topic uh, that are not heresies concerning who Christ is, but most of the heresies this evening will be heresies about Christ. False teaching, what are heresies? Heresies have been determined by the church uh, as false teachings often regarding who God is, who Christ is, and which cause great error uh, and distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these heresies have been around often for a very long time throughout church history as well as in society, in which many are still prevalent today. We're going to point how they're still prevalent today. Also that we can see, looking at these errors, these false teachings, these heresies, we're looking at these so that we can see better who Christ truly is. And so that we can love Christ all the more. And know how to perhaps evangelize better and testify better to those around us. And so by going through these, uh, Lord willing, we'll be built up in our understanding of the truth of Christ so that we might then exalt Christ all the more. The first Christological, that's uh, about Christ, Christological heresy or heresy regarding Christ is Apollinarianism. That's a funny word, kids, right? And there's going to be a lot of funny words this evening because the heresies often have uh, words that you've never heard before and I've never heard before until I studied these. And they're kind of funny sounding. The first one's Apollinarianism. You don't really need to remember the name, Apollinarianism. But you should try to remember if you're writing notes down, write down what they are so you know the heresy. Apollinarianism says that Christ is not fully human. Christ is not fully human. They deny the full humanity of Jesus Christ. They would see that, say that Christ is partly human. Uh, and in other words, that Christ had a human body, He had a human soul, but He did not have a human mind. He did not have a human mind. That's the basics of Apollinarianism. If we wanted to go deeper, we'd say that the heresy pressed too much on human philosophy of Plato and all these things. We don't need to go into all that. That the human spirit or mind, the rational part of each human, that this part was taken up in Christ by His divine nature. So He doesn't have that in His human nature. He doesn't have a mind, a human mind. That's what they say. That's Kids, that's all false. What we're saying right now is all false. And we'll later, in going over the heresies, look at Scripture and to see what is true about Christ. And even as we go through, we'll see what is true about Christ. But here, all we need to do is, as, uh, as we all remember our catechism, kids, you're remembering the catechism, learning the catechism. And the catechism addresses heresies. And it gives us the truth while addressing those heresies. So it's very helpful to us. Catechism, Shorter Catechism 22, that Christ, the Son of God, became man and took, uh, by taking to Himself a true body and a reasonable soul. Reasonable. Reasonable soul. Our confession says, when the fullness of time was come, take upon Him man's nature that's talking about Christ, with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof, of man's nature, yet without sin. Not most of man's nature, not some of man's nature, but all of what it means to be a man, all of what it means to be a human. He took upon Himself, and yet He was without sin. Do we see this heresy today? Uh, maybe in one theologian. It's not very widespread today, thankfully. And that theologian, you should know his name. I probably, you probably don't even, probably most of you have never heard of him, which is good. You probably will never hear about him, but his name is William Lane Craig. William Lane Craig. He, we won't go into him and his view uh, 
It's not that prevalent. But Apollinarianism denies Christ's full humanity. He's partly human, but not fully human. And that is a great error. Right, kids? Christ is fully, truly human. He is not partly or mostly human. The second heresy is docetism. Docetism. This heresy denies Christ's human nature completely. He's not human at all, they would say. And and so, uh, in other words, Jesus Christ, they would say, appeared to be like a man. He seemed to be a man. He seemed to have been born, seemed to have lived, seemed to have suffered. But it's all an illusion. It was all an illusion that Christ was like a phantom. Uh, And this heresy actually originated outside of Christianity. It didn't even occur uh, to begin with in the church, which tells you something, because a lot of these heresies are early church heresies. And uh, this tells us something, it teaches us something, doesn't it? Because this heresy uh, uh, originated outside of the church. That means what? That there are people in the early years of the church, outside of the church, who knew about Jesus Christ. Right? Then they had strong opinions about Him too. That they taught about it. Christ has a true body though. Right kids? Has a true body, a reasonable soul, and He took upon Himself all of man's nature with all its essential properties and common infirmities or weaknesses. And yet without sin. And the people that hold to a form of docetism today uh, are called Christian scientists. Christian scientists. They are not Christians. Just because the Christian is in their name does not make them Christian. But they call themselves Christian scientists. Uh, They adopted that name. And that also does not mean scientists who are Christian either. It does not, we're not talking about scientists. Uh, that's not what we're talking about. But now, docetism is also like another heresy, which has been prevalent for a long time, and is still prevalent today and in the church. And that is Gnosticism. Gnosticism, which is, uh, again, prevalent in the church today. Gnosticism is a conglomeration of many views that stem all the way back, uh, at least according to historians, all the way back to the Babylonians and the Persians. Salvation for Gnostics is having knowledge. And Gnostics believe that we need to be delivered from the physical world in order to go to the spiritual world. The physical, they say, is evil. This is very important. Uh, Of all the heresies, perhaps this one is very important, uh, or maybe most important to know, because we see it all the time. The physical is evil. You need to get rid of the physical, they say, which is false. That's what they say. And so you go back to docetism, which is a denial of Christ's humanity altogether, His physical body, right? And everything to do with His humanity, the goal is to get rid of that, right? Very similar to Gnosticism. Gnosticism and Gnostics commonly believe that Jesus merely took on human form temporarily. Again, he just appeared to be a human, like docetism. And the problem with Jesus merely appearing to be human means that his atonement can only then appear to be effective. But it isn't. You think the Lord wasn't prepared for heresies? And yet we find in his word, 2 John verse 7, for many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not. They confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Someone who's against Christ. Christianity, the church, etc. is not just spiritual though. We've learned that already in uh, chapter 5. We think of that, uh, friends, in the church how many today, broad evangelical churches, Baptist churches, even Reformed Baptists in various doctrines, they focus so much and only on the what? Spiritual. To the complete suppression of the physical. And that's not saying they're heretics. There might be some heretics in there. Though there are some, uh, for various reasons, for other reasons, 
But it is saying that Gnosticism has crept into the church. And uh, it can creep into this church, and may have, and probably has at times, in our minds or in our hearts. And so we need to be careful. We should be praying for those churches we just mentioned, or those Christians uh, uh, we just mentioned, for reformation here with us and with them. Even the Anabaptists, uh, at the time of the Reformation, the Anabaptists like Menno Simmons or Menno Simons went as far as to deny the very physical body of Jesus Christ, saying it was a spiritual body only, adopting the heretical view. But we cannot look too far from our own hearts. Naturally, we want to focus when speaking about the things of God on what? The spiritual. And only the spiritual. But look at what Jesus is doing in Matthew's Gospel. He cares about their bodies, just like we heard this morning. He cares about their bodies. He loves our bodies. Uh, But now maybe it's the opposite when we pray. We pray for all these physical things and not so much on spiritual matters. But there should be a balance, friends, of both. We are body and soul. Jesus is truly and fully man. And remember, in glory, in our glorification includes not only being made perfect in holiness, but glorified bodies forever. The future we have to look forward to, as we hope in, is actual flesh and bone bodies, fully and finally delivered, not from physicality, but from sin and its effects. That was Gnosticism and Docetism, very similar. The fourth heresy is Arianism. Arianism denies Christ's full divinity, saying He is sort of or partially divine, or He's partially or sort of God. These say that the Son, Jesus Christ, is a second or inferior God. Standing, as it were, in between God, who is the first cause, and all creation. In other words, Christ, they say, though uh, God has no beginning, Christ was originated. Again, that's why we go back to why it's so important to know the doctrine of the eternal generation of the Son or why Jesus is eternally begotten and not made and what that means. It is important here. But these say falsely that Christ was originated. He at some point did not exist. And rightly they understand His eternally... They misunderstand that his, uh, his being eternally begotten. And this is a denial of some very important theological terms. Uh, denying that Jesus is of one essence or uh, one nature or substance, like we usually say in the catechism, one substance with God. We say that He is the same in substance, equal in power, and glory. And they believe, and here's the technical theological term that you do not have to remember. He is, they say, falsely, the heresies say, the heretics say, he is homoousios. Homoousios, or of similar substance, but not the same substance. Whereas the truth is, Christ is of the same substance, which is homoousios. Homoousios. Now, who holds this view today? It's of that many Christians, cults like the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses hold this view. Latter-day Saints, uh, the Mormons are, or Latter-day Saints or LDS, different ways to say that, and Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, and they say what? That Jesus is a God. A God. And especially Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, they'll say, they'll take John 1, verse 1. And they'll change the language in their special what is it watchtower translation or is that the name of it? Uh, in their translation, and they'll say, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God." They'll add that just one letter in there, a God, even though it's not possible when translating from the Greek to put a there. That's what they do. That a God. And that's, of course, denied 
by the Scriptures, uh, even their own Scriptures. In Titus 2.13, uh, it says, looking in their translation, which is similar to ours, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous for good works. He is the God, great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so John 1 says, uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was, was God, and the Word was God. That's Arianism today. The fifth heresy is Socinianism. That sounds another funny word. Socinianism was a belief system that relies most fully on human reason. And so they denied Christ's full divinity, like Arianism, but it's slightly different. And the reason it's slightly different is because it came about at a different time. Arianism came about in the early church uh, in the first few centuries after Christ's death and resurrection. And Socinianism came about uh, right before and into the time of the Reformation. And so this again just reminds us that there's nothing new under the sun. But there's a, a couple different things uh, comparatively uh, uh, from Arianism. Uh, they also deny the Socinianism, uh, Socinians, if that's the way to say it. Uh, they also deny that Christ, the Son of God, uh, did not exist until He was born a man. Until He was born. And this group affirmed Unitarianism. It's today, right? Unitarianism, which we have today. And they denied uh, the doctrine of the Trinity altogether and their beliefs about the nature of God, especially His omniscience or God's knowing all things. They denied that God knows all things. And so we see in part of this as well in the false view today of open theism. Open theism uh, is no different than what we have experienced in church history before. It's not... I guess it's not as popular today as it was 10 or 20 years ago, open theism. Uh, but it's still there. Uh, it's still uh, held to. But as to Christ, the heresy is found in their belief that Christ was created, never existing until He was born. And when, obviously, He being created, He is not fully divine. The sixth heresy is Ebionism. Ebionism. If you know the pattern that we've been going through uh, so far, you might know already what Ebion, the Ebionites held or hold to. They deny Christ's divinity. The whole thing. Like he's not God at all. Uh, Arianism says Christ is partly divine. Ebionism is saying that Jesus is not divine at all. He's just a good Jew. He's just a good Jew. He was human. He was a man. But he's not God at all. And some Ebionites also denied the virgin birth of Christ. Not all of them, but some of them did. And Ebionites were very close historically to so-called Jewish Christians and the Jewish people. All Ebionites deny the pre-existence of Jesus and His divinity. Now, this is a view that's held in society generally today uh, by a lot of people, at least those who have read history. Uh, also, sadly, with the Jewish people who deny Jesus as the Messiah. And so, friends, out of these five heresies so far, what is true? What is true is that Jesus has two distinct natures. Two this is what's true. They are not meshed together. They are not mixed together. They are two separate, distinct natures. A fully, truly divine nature and a fully, truly human nature. And they're not mixed together in any way. Two natures. In the one divine person of Jesus Christ, who's one person of the Godhead. The seventh heresy is Nestorianism. Nestorianism denies Christ's one person. Denies His one divine person. 
And this heresy asserts that Christ is two persons, which really destroys the doctrine of the Trinity or the triune God. That He is one divine person who has a divine nature, and He is one human person who has a human nature. And so the Nestorians believe that Jesus is the union of two persons, each having its own nature. A human person and a divine person. Which if we use our language, that would mean there are four persons of the Godhead. That's false. It's not true, right? Because there's only three persons of the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And this heresy could not say, as we do say, that the humanity of Jesus belongs to the Son of God. They could not say that. Instead, that they say uh, that it belongs to His human person. When Christ died, their false view is that it was not the incarnate Son of God suffering according to His human nature. It was the human person who died and suffered in His human nature. When Christ performed a miracle, it was not the incarnate Son of God acting according to His divine nature to manifest His power. It was the divine person of Christ acting independently of the human person of Jesus. Or in Jesus. And so if Christ is two persons, who died on the cross? It cannot be the infinite divine person of the Son. For He has not assumed a human nature in their view. Again, this is false. He possesses only and His divine person a divine nature which cannot experience suffering. And so it must have been the human person in their view. The human person who suffered and died because the human person in Christ has a human nature which can experience suffering. But then what do we have? We have the death only of a finite person. For human persons are finite. And the merit of a finite human sacrifice could hardly be applied to all who come to faith and all the elect, right? Besides the finite person who offers it could only uh, count for one. Larger Catechism 38, it says, it was requisite, required, that the mediator should be God, that he might, this is what is true, that the mediator should be God, that He might sustain and keep the human nature from sinking under the infinite wrath of God and the power of death, give worth and efficacy to His sufferings, obedience and intercession, and to satisfy God's justice, procure His favor, purchase a peculiar people, give His Spirit to them, conquer all their enemies, and bring them to everlasting salvation." And Hebrews 5.8, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Christ is one person. One divine person. And he has a divine nature and a human nature. Those who hold to the false view that Christ is two persons, a divine person and a human person, which is false, those who hold that today will be uh, in the Eastern churches, uh, like the Assyrian church, the Coptic church, the Ethiopian church, and so a lot of the Eastern churches. The eighth heresy is a fun one to say. The eighth heresy is Eutychianism. Eutychianism. Start E-U-T-Y. Eutychianism. And Eutychianism denies the true humanity of Christ, but this is a little different than Docetism and Apollinarianism that we talked about before. The Eutychianites believe that Christ possesses only one nature. That his, He is one divine person, but that His divine nature has swallowed up and absorbed the human nature of Jesus so that Christ is left with one nature, a mixture of the two, together. Uh, 
a mixture, a God-man nature. Only one nature. And so instead of being one divine person with two distinct natures, a divine and human nature, they believe Christ is one divine person with a one divine human, one divine slash human nature. I'm not sure if it's 50%, 50%, I don't know. But it's a mixture of those natures together into one. But friends, what does this mean? Not only does this view deny the true humanity of Christ, it by necessity also denies the true deity of Jesus Christ, our Savior. If this new one mixture of a nature, a nature that is both divine and human mixed together, then we are left with a nature that is not truly and fully divine and a nature that is not truly and fully human. And so in this false view, Jesus cannot be subject to the normal, non-sinful limitations of humanity. And so they deny that Christ grew weary. He didn't sleep on the boat when the waves came up and crashed against the boat and was sinking it. That was just pretend. If Jesus is a mixture of the divine and human nature... Uh, mixed together, He being not truly man, cannot pay for the sins of other human sinners. And since He is not truly and fully divine, He cannot pay for the sins of all sinners who turn to Him by faith. And so this view does not allow Christ to atone for our sins. In our day, also the Ethiopian Orthodox Church holds this view. But friends, we to reiterate, Christ has, what is true, Christ has two distinct natures, uh, a divine nature and a separate, distinct human nature. Another heresy that we won't go into very much at all, you don't even have to write it down, monophysitism, which is very similar to Eutychianism, denying Christ two natures, saying there's only one, and yet that one nature was not a mixture, it's sort of uh, just one divine nature. And so this view denied as well the incarnation of Christ and therefore the atonement of Christ. The ninth heresy is canonicism. Canonicism. And this view is taken from Philippians chapter 2, which says, and this is God's word, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in, a fa- in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And this false teaching says, taken from Philippians 2, that Christ in, at his incarnation emptied himself, uh, got rid of, emptied himself of his deity to no longer be divine. And so while he was on the earth, he was human. And then at the resurrection, he took on his deity again. And so this view is very prevalent, uh, a view in the late 19th and early 20th centuries in liberalism. Uh, But it is false. Christ is always divine. And he has always, uh, always had a divine nature and he took on a human nature. And he still has a divine and human nature today and forever. The tenth heresy is not a... This is where we're getting to the not Christological views, Christological heresies. Uh, But since we're on the heresies, we can mention them. And this one is Pelagianism. Pelagianism. And this position is that Adam's sin affected only Adam. We were talking about that in the Sabbath school this morning. There is no, in this view, there is no union with or imputation of Adam's guilt and sin upon the rest of mankind. Denying Romans 5, many other passages we read, uh, even in Sabbath school. That man's basic nature is always capable and everywhere to be obedient to God. They say that man's nature has always been capable of obedience, even today. Every single human being is capable of obeying God. Denying what? Denying that grace is necessary to obey God. And this view holds that it's possible for every human being to live a life of perfect righteousness. And therefore it denies original sin. It denies total depravity. 
And today, Pelagianism is found in humanism, as well in the church today in what is called semi-Pelagianism, and seeks semi-Pelagianism seeks what? A middle ground between biblical truth and heresy. Which every time you try to bring a middle ground between biblical truth and heresy, what do you end up with in the middle? Heresy. If it's not biblical truth, it's false. And so we need to remember uh, compromising is not in God's it's not part of God's character. He has his truth, and that truth is truth. That there is in the semi-Pelagianism, there's a grace needed to achieve righteousness, but this that is grace uh that grace is not imparted to the sinner sovereignly by God, but that the individual makes that first step of faith before saving grace is given. And so God imparts the grace of faith while the sinner's work is already going, happening and seeking after God. Notice the work. It's a work seeking after God. And so it's a view very papist. You find it in Roman Catholicism. And we find it prevalent in the church, plaguing the church today. Grace and works mixed together, meriting something before God. Romans 5, it says, Wherefore by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. But not as the offense, it goes a few verses later, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God, the gift and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous." And the, uh, the second non-Christological, non-heresy about Christ is Marcionism. Marcionism is really a denier of the Old Testament Scriptures. And you'll find very much uh, a lot of parts of Marcionism very much like dispensationalism with the view that God changes, which is... Utterly false. Marcionism teaches that the God of the Old Testament, you hear, and you've probably heard this in the church at times, and uh, today, or growing up, uh, and even in the world. Marcionism teaches that God, the God of the Old Testament is the author of evil, he's oppressive, and he is a lesser distinct being compared to the God of the New Testament, who's all about love and forgiveness. And so, in this view, God changes. This is also a Gnostic idea that dispensationalists suffer from, that there are lesser gods in the world, and the true supreme God is far above and inaccessible. And dispensationalism, you'll find a lot, of, a lot that God changes. Uh, but not too much into that anymore. The twelfth heresy, getting back to the heresies about Christ, is modalism. Modalism, that God reveals Himself falsely. This is a false view. God reveals Himself in different modes. So sometimes He appears as the Father, sometimes He appears as the Son, and sometimes He appears as the Holy Spirit, but never at the same time. Never is God three persons of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But sometimes He's the Father, sometimes He's the Son, sometimes He's the Spirit. And the illustration is used like water. And so this is why using illustrations to uh, describe the Trinity is very unwise. Because it leads to views like heresy, like modalism. 
The illustration often uses like water. The Trinity is like the water. It appears in three different modes, solid, liquid, and gas. It's kind of like that. And this view really comes in our modern day because of how people try to explain the Trinity by using that, that illustration or an illustration to try to do so. And they turn into heretics in a moment because as soon as you uh, try to describe the Trinity by using an illustration or you draw it up on a board, you break the second commandment uh, and the third commandment and a whole host of other commandments, uh, but the second you try to illustrate it in some way, you, you become a heretic because there's no perfect way to do so. But modalism holds that there are no personal distinctions within the one Godhead. Instead, it, 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 like God has three different masks. That's how they describe it. It's like different masks that He puts on depending on if He's operating as the Father, the Son, or the Spirit. And yet the modalists, you would think, would have a pretty hard time with Mark chapter 1. This talks about the baptism of Christ and straightway coming up out of the water. He saw the heavens opened and the Spirit, like a dove descending upon Him, who's Him? Christ the Son. The Spirit, like a dove descending upon Him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Who is this? This is God the Father. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so modalism is false. And this is held today by oneness Pentecostals. The 13th, and if it's held by anybody else, we can talk afterwards. Uh, and you can add to it. Uh, the 13th heresy is adoptionism. Adoptionism, which is sort of like modalism. It's denying the triune God, but it says that Christ was adopted in a divine way as the Son of God. And, and that view seemingly is not held today. So I won't go into it. The 14th heresy is monothelitism. Monothelitism denies that Christ has two wills. It denies that He has two wills. Two desires. Two wills. A divine will and a human will. That's what we believe. He does have a divine will according to His divine nature. He has a human will according to His human nature. But they deny that and they say that Christ has one divine will. We see this rejected when Christ is in the garden, right? Most clearly before He's crucified, Luke 22, saying, Father, if Thou be willing, remove this cup from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Thine be done. And Jesus Christ has a divine will according to His divine nature, a human will according to His human nature. And this is a view prevalent in the Eastern Church and uh, probably the modern church because there's such a conglomeration of views in the church today mixed up in the mind of many Christians. And the last heresy this evening, very prevalent today, and so I'll leave it for the last, is called the eternal subordination of the Son. The eternal subordination of the Son. This is a view that within God Himself, the Son is eternally subordinate to the Father. And this is a view held... Uh, by Wayne Grudem. A lot of older folks here know of Wayne Grudem. And this view stems from not holding, his not holding, and it's not just him, but other people. But Wayne Grudem, you know, so I mentioned him. Uh, this view stems from not holding to that doctrine we, we studied a couple of Lord's Days ago, the eternal generation of the Son. And he doesn't hold to that view, which makes him, sadly to say, a heretic. A heretic. Uh, if this heresy is correct, it's not correct, it's false. But if it's logic, if it is, if it is logically consistent, then as those who hold the view say, Jesus' personal will, his personal will differs from that of the Father. And if that is true, then Jesus' human will and Jesus' divine will both differ from the will of God the Father. And this view purports that there is no single divine will. That means that either Jesus does not have the same nature as His Father, so that He is another separate God, tritheism, or that His nature is different and inferior. Getting to Arianism. And so friends, it's important to know that the Scriptures show very clearly that God the Father, 
and God the Son are co-equal or co- and co-eternal. As John 1, verse 1 teaches us, and the many other Scriptures, we're going to read a couple in a moment. As well you know, we'll never find in Scripture that Christ's divine will ever differs from that of God's will. And you'll find that Christ in human nature, His human will always obeys God's will. And what should we learn about our Savior then and our Lord in all of this? And looking at all these heresies, what are we to learn from all of this? That He's a great Savior. He's a great Savior. He's very simple and yet so complex. It's easy for uh, the kids to uh, quote the catechism about who God is and who Christ is. And yet it's hard to comprehend. And it is so simple to say, you can say that, uh, but to wrap around all the tentacles that hang upon this truth. That Christ is one person. One divine person and has two distinct natures, divine and human, forever. Our salvation hangs on that truth and the salvation of all of God's elect in the future, of course, in the past. Colossians 2, he is one divine person. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Romans 9, whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Christ is one divine person forever. Christ, as one divine person, has two distinct natures. We, friends, are one human person with one human nature. That's it. Christ is one divine person who has two distinct separate natures that do not mix together, divine and human. And those two distinct natures are united together, not in the natures themselves, but in that one divine person, Jesus Christ. Two distinct natures united together in the one divine, eternal person. And this is called, this is a theological term you can write down if you want. This is called how the two distinct natures are united together, They don't work by mixing together, but they are united to the one divine person. And this is called the hypostatic union. And so what do we believe, friends? Who is the Redeemer of God's elect? The only Redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal Son of God became man and so was and continueth to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. And how did Christ, being the Son of God, become man? Christ, the Son of God, became man by taking to Himself a true body and a reasonable soul, being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary and born of her, yet without sin. John 1, verse 1, and then verse 14, it says, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him..." was not anything made that was made. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In Acts chapter 1 it says, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen Him go into heaven. Hebrews 7 says, But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. To all of you today, we have an amazing Savior. And as we've learned this evening, in order to freely offer every one of you life in Him, He had to be the unchanging, just, righteous, good, loving, holy, true, and wise God always who took on human flesh. The God-man. Truly and fully God. Truly and fully man. 
and one divine person so as to live a perfect righteous life and be condemned a perfect wrath-satisfying death, not just in order for one person to have life forever, but in order for everyone who calls upon His name to be saved, that they would be saved. And if you believe on Christ, He promises you today, He will save you and forgive you of your sin. And if you refuse Him, if you reject and rebel against Him, you'll be condemned unto the eternal judgments by this same God. He does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. How can Jesus, who walked on the earth, having his having a true human body, both mind, heart, will, how could He be the same yesterday, today, and forever? Only because He's divine. Friends, our Lord and Savior is awesome. And so we praise Him. And uh, let's go to Him in prayer and then praise Him once again. Our Father, we're thankful once again for Your Son, Jesus Christ. We're thankful that You teach us who He is through Your Word. We're thankful that He is one divine person of the triune God. And that as the as a one divine person, He has one divine nature and also another human nature. And we are thankful that these two natures communicate through His one divine person. How wonderful You are that You have given us such a Son and delivered Him over for us that we might have salvation in Him. And Father, we pray that You would turn our hearts to Him and that He would be glorified and worshipped. For if He was like any of these heresies profess, Father, we would not be saved. But we're thankful that You're the unchanging God who has given us Him. And You have showered us with Your sovereign grace and saved us from all of our sins. We pray for those who do not believe at this moment. We pray that You would grant them faith by Your Spirit. And so save them by Your sovereign grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.